Welcome to Dynasty Theory, your source for everything Dynasty fantasy football. With your hosts, John Bauer. I'm looking to sell everybody price dependent. Dan LaMagna. Too much dysfunction in Cleveland. And Mitch Sorensen. Well, it's hard to compete with excellence. Thank you for joining us for Dynasty Theory. I'm your host, John Bauer. You can find me on Twitter at The Bauer Club. As always, I am joined by Mitch Sorensen, and that's at DinoMC on Twitter. Mitch, we have the new feed. We are doing our first ever live stream. New name, new logo. A lot of exciting things here for Dynasty Theory. It's going to take some time so I don't say super flexology. Yeah, I'm really excited for this. We talked about rebranding a while ago, and now that Dan's on here, I think it's a perfect time to. And I'm going to apologize at the very beginning. If I echo a lot, it's because I'm in an empty house and I'll be moved out here next week. So if I'm really echoey, I promise the sound quality will be better next week. I was wondering where you were going to record from tonight. I wasn't sure if you were at your dad's house yet. Next week. Next week. How excited are you for that? Slightly. Okay. Okay. Mitch is rebranding everything. His podcast, his home. Uh, Apparently, yeah. And I might be following in his footsteps here. We actually are listing our house tomorrow. No, Wednesday. What is today? Monday. We're doing it Wednesday. So we'll see how it goes. And then you already heard him, but we're also joined by Dan LaMagna. And he also went through a little bit of rebranding himself. He is now at FF Coach Dan on Twitter. So Dan, why the rebrand? One, I'm trying to keep up with you guys. You know, you're rebranding everything, the podcast, your homes. So at least I could do is the Twitter handle. I, I was not allowed to change it during the Scott Fishbowl. He didn't want anyone changing their Twitter handles. So to, you know, continue to do the deep dive into the fantasy world and spinning off my uh, coaching background, it was time for a change. And it's funny because I noticed that a few people, they refer to you in chats and stuff as Dean. So I think the Twitter handle threw them off just a little bit. Yeah, I was, that was becoming the norm. And that was also the title of my old position at Lackawanna College. I got a new position. So the old Twitter handle was just, it was gone. It was time to go. So happy to rebrand with you gentlemen. I was going to say it was your old position. Hopefully you didn't get demoted from it. No, it was a promotion. Thank God. <laughs> well, good. That's good to hear. Now let's get into the fun stuff. Let's get into the meat of the show. And guys, it's Combine Week. As you can tell from the name of this episode, Combine Chaos. Dan's over there rubbing his hands together. This is the time of year when people plant their flags and anything they can, they will say and use to support their narrative. And I'm sure we're going to get it into tonight, but the big thing on Twitter today was Joe Burrow and those tiny hands of his. What are you coming at? Nine? Nine. Yep. You can't play quarterback in the NFL. So that's going to be an interesting topic throughout the whole offseason. Well, his hands are too small. If you didn't like a player coming into this week, Anything that happens here, if it supports your narrative, you're going to use that in your debates, your discussions, your dynasty values, I'm sure. And it shouldn't be that way. And if there's something that doesn't support your narrative, and you guys know this, we're going to see, oh, you know, it was just one event. It was just the combine. And it really doesn't mean too much. So we had the quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends. They took their measurements today. And they hit the field for the field events on Thursday. Running backs, that's the big day here for the combine they hit the field on Friday. So it's going to be a very exciting week. And I'm waiting for, and do you guys have a prediction? The first topless gym selfie, who it's going to be from? Last year was DK Metcalf and people went nuts. So who's going to make the hot or not list this year? Austin Eckler had one today already. That was actually, all over Twitter. So I think that counts. No, no, no. Incoming rookies. And that's actually why I brought it up. I saw that and people were all up in arms about it but again so quarterbacks wide receivers tight ends they hit the field thursday running backs they hit the field on friday measurements for the quarterbacks wide receivers tight ends took place today a lot of interesting talking points for tonight's show 
and a lot of things that are going to impact upcoming rookie drafts that take place before the NFL draft. So we don't know where the landing spots are, obviously, up to that point. Let's get right into it. Mitch, we've talked about this off the air several times, but the NFL Combine, how much importance are you placing on this? How much is it really going to impact your dynasty values here throughout the offseason? So I think for quarterbacks, we just don't know. There's not a lot on the field that we're going to see that's going to move them up or down. So a lot of that stuff is behind in the meeting rooms. The only thing we're going to find out about from that's on Twitter. And I think running backs is almost the same. We're going to, if someone really blows up on the field, I think that's going to help them out a little bit. But most of these guys are going to run what we kind of already expect. We expect Jonathan Taylor to run in the four fours. We expect Swift somewhere in the four fives. And as long as they don't come out and run a four seven, they should be completely fine. But I think wide receiver is the one that really matters. If someone comes out and runs a slow time, it's going to absolutely kill their stock. Just moving forward, I'm trying to not adjust a lot of things based off what's happening here on the combine, but I know I'm going to. If someone comes out and runs a DK Metcalf like 40, you know, at six foot three, then I'll probably adjust him, but I know I probably shouldn't. And you talked about really blowing things out of proportion, and it wasn't to the extent of like a DK Metcalf, but last year, if you guys remember, Alex Barnes, the one of the backup running backs for the Tennessee Titans, he blew up the bench press. I think he hit 34, which is the highest total dating back to 2015. So you see these guys and their measurables and what they put up in these different events. And especially being active on Twitter, you see people just go absolutely nuts. And Alex Barnes, even though what I think he was taking the seventh round, maybe I'm not sure exactly the draft round that he was taking, but his stock actually increased simply because of what he did at the combine and obviously some college production too. But the combine really helped him from a dynasty perspective and bringing his stock up when he really should have been a fifth round, maybe undrafted free agent, a lot of rookie drafts. So it's definitely something to keep your eye on. Dan, we talked about this off the air as well. You actually took part in, I think you said as a coach and player in a few combines, not NFL, or maybe it was the NFL. I don't know. I don't know your whole backstory here, Dan, but you were, you took part in a, another league and you guys had combines. So why don't you provide some information on that and bring the coaching aspect into it? Hey, so before I get to that, we have to give a shout out to, I think it's James Finland here. I see with our first ever plug on our, our YouTube there saying, looking forward to the show, you know, being the inaugural post of the new feed, let's give a little kudos. And Mitch, I see you're getting some love there for the Billy Sims jersey in the background. So that's cool. But um, to, to that, J, JB, you know, I'll start with, you mentioned Barnes last year with that, you know, impressive bench press. You know, you can't get caught up in that. I've coached guys before at these combines that would put up 225 for a ridiculous amount of times, but they were slow as could be in the short shuttle. You know, they couldn't block and, and be a running back putting up 33 times on the bench doesn't mean he could block that rusher off the edge. So we're looking at everything. And I think it's really important to know that this is a work in progress as far as an evaluation. NFL management coaches, GMs, scouts, they don't know right now what their final draft boards are going to look like. They're still evaluating. So us analysts and everyone on Twitter, you know, you got to take things with a grain of salt and know it's a work in progress. Um, I did have the opportunity. Uh, I've coached uh, high school, college, and semi-pro football before. Uh, like I think every young man, I chased those NFL dreams, but I was far from an NFL prospect. So uh, I, I thank you for the open-mindedness there, JB. But it was, <laughs> it was strictly at the, the, the collegiate and semi-professional level. Uh, did coach uh, some combines and then, I brought a little swag as, you know, we're having fun with the XFL and these new leagues. 
This was the official AAFL, American All-American Football League. I hiked my favorite number 27 jersey that they they sent us for our participants. And um, we hosted a combine in Scranton. If you Googled AAFL or startup professional leagues, professional leagues that never made it, that was one of them. But it was cool. We had, um, you know, former Penn State running back, uh, Kansas City Chief running back Omar Easy came to our combine. And we got to see these guys in action. You know, we test them with a, a laser ran 40 yard dash and, and got to evaluate talent. I think the biggest thing, you're hearing numbers all week. You're going to hear numbers on Twitter, but who's coachable is what I'm looking for. You know, there's nothing like talking to a guy and they're there like they know everything and can't be coached up. That's what these coaches are looking for there at Combine on top of the numbers. Who's hustling? Who's giving effort? What kind of conditioning and shape are these athletes in? That's fantastic insight. Again, looking at it from the coaching perspective, Mitch and I, you know, obviously we don't have that background on a previous show, I talked about my stellar six yards per carry average back in grade school, I think fourth grade. But looking at it from that aspect, it, it's very insightful, Dan. So I do appreciate that. Let's dive right into a few players. These are guys that we're going to be talking about all week, for better or for worse. And Dan, we're going to start with you because you mentioned being coachable and having a good attitude. And this is a player that you've knocked throughout the offseason already. I know it's early in the offseason. We're only here February 24th, but you've been knocking Joe Burrow and you have a little bit of concern. And just like Mitch said, there's not much on-field action for the quarterback, so there's not a lot that we can take away. But the interviews and the personality and the tests that they're taking, that's where we find out the information on quarterbacks. So what are your thoughts overall on Joe Burrow? And how do you think this week is going to impact whether it's his NFL stock or his rookie draft capital here after the NFL draft? And for, for our listeners, you know, when I give that coach and take, you know, it's how do you apply that to fantasy football? And when we're looking at taking Joe Burrow, you know, you guys are really good at looking at, you know, their market value, you know, where to take them in a rookie draft, where to take them versus in a startup draft. Um, you know, I'm giving this insight to be able to compare, hey, is it Joe Burrow or the next guy? You know, when we're going to talk about Tua, uh, when you're looking at his value versus a Sam Darnold and looking forward, my issue is with Joe Burrow. I mean, Hey, let's, he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. I'd be shocked if he wasn't. So I'm not knocking him and saying he's not the clear number one in this class because he is. His numbers were off the charts. Things we know about him, great release, great accuracy, um, anticipation to all the tight windows. You know, I was watching film tonight, you know, not just on Burrow, but your boy Jefferson that we're going to talk about later, Mitch. And you can see this guy can make the throws. His coaches are praising him for his leadership and toughness. But where I have the issue, JB, is – does he have those intangibles when the going gets tough? All right. I'm seeing this cocky attitude where he devalued the Heisman, like the major league baseball commissioner decided to devalue the, the world series trophy there. He, he played it down. And if my son is talking negative about the Heisman for all the guys that paved the way to win it, I'm going to have an issue with that. Um, he started 2019 as a fringe prospect. So I, I feel like his head got a little big in a short period of time. Uh, you know, when he goes to the pros, he's going to be starting off with the most likely two and 14 Bengals. So when you don't have the big old line of LSU and wide receivers everywhere and a running back that takes the pressure off a defense and a special teams that puts you in good situations all the time, how are you going to respond? And that's my concern. You know, how coachable is he going to be at the combine this weekend? And that could be the difference in the end of, is it a him or a Tua or is it him versus a DeAndre Swift in Superflex if you're trying to make that type of decision? So that's my concern. Now, this doesn't really relate back to the combine, but do you have any concern with his meteoric rise and how much of an improvement we saw from 2018 to 2019? 
How much of that do you think was Joe Brady or how much of it was Joe, Joe Burrow? And that's where we are wondering. I think there is a large enough a sample size to say this kid's talented. We've seen him make enough incredible throws. He's got the tools, uh, but it isn't a short sample size. And it is a product of a lot of great talent around him. So if he goes to the Bengals, how does he respond to the struggles of being two, two and 14? If they don't fix their own line issues, how does he respond to being on the turf a lot and that's where character comes in. That's where I'm concerned about that cocky attitude. So I am hoping he could eat a little bit of humble pie, mature, and turn into a fine NFL quarterback because he does have the tools. It is tough for some of these guys because they've seen such success, whether it's the high school, college level, and they go to these NFL teams that are struggling at times. And obviously the Bengals would fall into that category if he does go there first overall, which is the expectation. But how does he bounce back? And we kind of saw that with Baker. And I know you compare him to Baker a lot with the attitude and the chip on his shoulder. But how did Baker bounce back? He didn't really deal with the media. He didn't deal with criticism well. But it seems like now maybe he's maturing a little bit during this offseason. So it's something we want to see with Joe Burrow. Come in that way and, like you said, eat a little bit of humble pie and not be so cocky and be coachable. Now, Mitch, I know you have some thoughts here. And it probably ties back to Tua. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there with a smirk on your face. So let's hear it. It does. So honestly, so I've been thinking about this last week or so when we started doing our rookie rankings going forward. You know, we're trying to break down which quarterbacks we like more. And I definitely like Tua more as a prospect than I like Burrow. I think his arm talent is undeniably better than what Burrow has. I don't think it's even the same conversation. But the one thing we have about Burrow is... He's a pre-snap like savant. He is brilliant pre-snap, but you have to wonder how much of that was the offense that he was in. I think he could still make all the throws in the NFL. It, there's just, there is a difference between his arm talent and what Tua has. And I keep going back to, we were just barely talking about Baker Mayfield. And when Cleveland was on that clock at the first pick in the draft, the two months leading up to it, we heard it's Sam Darnold. It's, Sam Darnold the entire time about two weeks before we heard no wait they kind of really like Josh Allen and everyone's like no that's not true of course it's going to be Sam Darnold then about a day before the draft is when everyone started hearing they're actually really like Baker Mayfield and if you take a step back I know we all anointed Joe Burrow as the 101 pick in Superflex draft in the NFL draft but if you take a step back and look at it I don't know if there's a better landing spot for Tua than what Cincinnati has built up right now. So they have all the skill position pieces that you can need. The wide receivers are set. They have Joe Mixon, even Tyler Eifert, if he's still there next year. They've already invested into the offensive line last year. And they have Andy Dalton for cheap. And they could just let him go after this year and not owe him anything. And I think that is the absolute perfect setup for Tua. He could sit behind Andy Dalton, someone who's not going to hate him for coming in because he already sees the writing on the wall, gives Andy Dalton one more year to prove himself. And Tua could just come in in 2021 and light the world on fire from Cincinnati instead of having to go to Miami, where we all kind of think that he was going to go in the first place. But Miami doesn't have an offensive line. They don't have a running back. They have not yet. Right. Maybe one good wide receiver. And so I just think that we jumped on the Burrow train really quick when we heard about the Tua injury. And 
we just never got off of it. Maybe we should take a step back now and be like, you know, Tua might actually be the better fit in Cincinnati this year. Dan, you're ready to jump through the screen over there. So I'm, I'm, I'm calling a timeout. I'm calling a timeout. JB, tell me, did Mitch just really say the Cincinnati Bungles are a great landing spot for anybody? Did I hear that right? JB, help me here. They have talent in their skill positions. And you guys know I love Joe Mixon and I love Tyler Boyd. I am all about Tyler Boyd. I, I agree. They want to improve the offensive line. They brought in Jonah Williams. They drafted him last year, the injury preseason. That obviously was a major setback. But Mitch, are you saying that they should consider taking Tua at the first overall pick over Joe Burrow? Yeah, I think Tua is the better prospect. So, of course, this is all if his medical's clear. If his medical's clear and you're happy with it, then yes, they should take him over Burrow. So let's let's paint this scenario. Tua to is healthy. Burrow goes in, throws a good combine despite the nine-inch hands, shows he could show it, throw an NFL ball, but says, I do not want to be traded to this, or I do not want to be drafted to the Cincinnati Bengals. He says he has all the leverage, so. So if he plays that card like we've seen played in the draft before, you know, I'm looking at does Miami trade up, you know, from the number five spot? Do a Chargers trade up from a sixth spot? Does the Bucks get enticed with Winston in their 14th, getting really out of the box there? There's some scenarios. It's an interesting thought, and here, here's what I'm thinking. So you have an organization like the Cincinnati Bengals. They have to hit this first overall pick. So barring anything where Joe Burrow comes in and says, I don't want to play for the Bengals. I don't want them to draft me. So that situation aside, he's a safer play for the Bengals. You need to sell tickets, right? You're not going to do it with Andy Dalton, a quarterback. We saw that last year. And let's just say, I know everything's pointing upwards for Tua. What if there's a setback? What if he comes back in 2021 or even in 2020 and he's not who we've seen in the past? Joe Burrow, I think, is a safer play for them. And that's probably the reason why we're not hearing Tua 101. Hey, Tua wants to go to my Cowboys, too. That's on record. Just saying. That's true. <laughs> that's funny how many prospects want to go play for the Cowboys. Like, I bet if you ask all the players, I bet 40% of them would say they want to go to the Cowboys. It's America's team, Mitch. Come on. Uh, yeah, that's something, all right. Yeah. All right, so we're going to stick with the same team here. We're staying in LSU. And, Mitch, you have a wide receiver that you wanted to bring up. I do. I want to bring up Justin Jefferson. I think he's someone that's not being talked about at all in the Dynasty, you know, Twitter community. But if you listen to... NFL draft podcasts by like Daniel Jeremiah, he's bringing him up as a first round pick. And I think that's completely the case. So with Justin Jefferson, you're getting a slot wide receiver. He's not good outside. He played outside a fair bit in 2018 and didn't do well at all. So what they did in 2019 is they moved him into the slot and they played him exclusively there. I think he had like two or three snaps outside and that was it. But the great thing about Jefferson is he's very good against the zone. A PFF has it written down, but if you look him up compared to man, compared to zone, he's one of the best wide receivers that we've seen, you know, against the zone defense in quite some time. But that could also be because of the offense that he was in. So that's the little bit of kickback we're probably going to see a lot. But so going into this, I thought he was going to be six foot three, 192 pounds, because that's what LSU had him listed at. But he goes into the combine and I think it's actually better for him. He came in about six foot one and 204, 205 ish, which I think is a lot better. It was 202. 202. Yeah. So close enough. But I think if you look at him, go and watch his game film from the championship game against Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma doesn't have a good defense, but they definitely have athletes at defense. They have guys that could run. And he was running past him. He put up an unbelievable game. If you kind of comp him to an NFL player, I think he's Tyler Boyd. If you look at Tyler Boyd coming out, he has exact same measurables. Tyler Boyd around a four five eight. I bet Jefferson is really close to a four five eight to a four six zero. And better hope so. He was a four eight eight in high school, and I know obviously some time has passed, but he's got to see a big improvement from that. He was, but if you see four eight eight and you watch him on the field, he doesn't run four eight eight. It's not. He's running past guys, and even with with that smaller frame that he has, his first touchdown pass against Oklahoma. He carried a guy five yards into the end zone. And that was after already breaking a tackle at like the seven. I always have this thing for slot wide receivers. I don't know why, but I always draft them a little bit higher than I should. I'm the same with Christian Kirk. Yeah, Jamison Crowder. And I don't know why, but I really like slot wide receivers coming into the NFL. I think it's cheap PPR points. And for me, he's my wide receiver three behind CeeDee Lamb. And why are you shaking your head? And Judy respectfully disagree mr Sorensen. I, I agree that jefferson's a good football player you know you got me watching this film a little bit extra i definitely see how he breaks down those that zone defense especially in the red zone he really had a knack for getting open and finding the football um, but when you say run by these guys i'd say barely the separation is minimal but he did do a good job of, of going after the football but if you're having not getting a lot of separation at the college level and that's when you know, Burrow's picking these defenses apart because he has, you know, he could pretty much make a fire back there. He's got so much time to throw. What's it going to be like in the NFL when the real rush is coming and the defensive backs are even better? So I do think he's good. I'm not knocking on Mr. Jefferson, but when you talk about wide receivers that nobody's talking about, I think there's guys higher for uh, the rookie drafts than Mr. Jefferson. And at some point, uh, JB is going to set me up with my guy. I will, but I will, I have one thing I want to bring up. So we talk about their 40 times, and we talked about, obviously, the horrific 488 back in the day for Jefferson and the expectation. Mitch, what did you say you expected him to be at here in the combine? I mean, you're right at 460, right? Maybe a little bit under 458, somewhere right around there. I don't think he's going to be higher than that. So going back to 2015, and as you can tell from previous comments, I've really dug into the combine results. There has not been a wide receiver since 2015, at least 2015, it could go even further, that ran over a 4-5-3 at the Combine and was taken in the first round. So he falls in that 4-8-4-6 category. I, I, based on the recent history, I'd be very surprised to see him taken in the first round. But one thing that I will say, we've seen the projections and we've seen what people are saying, how many wide receivers could be taken in the first, second, and third rounds this year. If all of those wide receivers are taken that early, does it almost diminish their value when you're looking at strictly draft capital? So we know the cutoff is third round for running backs and wide receivers. After that, there's a cliff and there's definitely a lack of production, whether it's the actual NFL or it's fantasy output. But if you have all those players taken in the third round, a guy that might've been taken in the fifth, you know, if you look at it, the whole picture, maybe a third round grade, maybe a second round grade. It doesn't mean what it did in past years. What are your guys thoughts on that? To one of Mitchell's points is. Did you, you know, just he, full name him Mitchell? Every once in a while I throw a Mitchell in there, especially when we're debating. Right. So, so, so with this one here, like and I give credit where it's due too. I mean, there's 
40 speed and then there's game speed. He does do a good job of running by people and finding those open areas. Sometimes you are faster on that turf than you are, you know, running that straight line 40. And, you know, 111 catches, that's nothing to sneeze at by any means, no matter what your system is. You know, so he has produced. But to your point, John, if, you know, he goes a little bit later because of that speed and the teams are investing a little bit in him and we don't know how that four, six, four, seven speed is going to translate to NFL. There's a higher risk there. So that concerns me. Um, I, I think Mitch is going to draft him before me and whatever startup you guys coax me into in the upcoming weeks. Mitch, where are you looking to take him today? Not right. even knowing the landing spot. Where are you taking him in super flex rookie drafts? I think I have him at right around 109, 110. 109 or 110. Yeah, wow. I have him right behind the running backs. But I have quite a few running backs in that first round. And I only have three wide receivers there. And he's the last wide receiver that I have in the first round. So but, you're going to have to take him. So let's just talk about this. You have Tua, Burrow, and this is in no order. Tua, mm-hmm. Burrow, and Herbert. Mm-hmm. Those three are going to be first round super flex yep. rookie picks here. Sure. And then you have Dude. Swift, Taylor, Dobbins. It sounds like Zach Moss is really popping up people's draft boards. Cam Akers, most likely. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So that's I nine was, guys right there. So what you're taking him over every wide receiver then? Is that I'm taking him over Jalen Rager. I'm taking him over Ruggs. I'll take him over Dan's guy that he's going to bring up. And one thing I did want to mention that I completely forgot to now that you brought up Edwards Elaire. The one guy when you're watching LSU, when you're watching any of their games, the one guy that you see constantly is Edwards Elaire. He pops off the screen every single time. Another reason that I could be a little bit lower in Burrow is because I watched a lot of his tape and Jefferson made him look really good on some throws. You could call him back shoulder throws if you want to, but the amount of Jefferson having to jump up, spin his body, catch it, and pretty much have to do a complete 180 to catch the ball. Maybe it was planned like that from Burrow, but I think there was a lot of Jefferson also helping him out there. And that might be a reason why I'm kind of Tua over Burrow as far as our skills go. All right. Before we move on, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I know we don't like to stray away from our show notes here, but what's your ideal landing spot? First thought, real quick, go. Eagle. It's kind of cheating because that's what Daniel Jeremiah has him comp to, but I think it's they need a slot wide receiver there. But it's really anywhere that has a good quarterback that they need a slot wide receiver. If they try to play Jefferson on the outside, I'm not, I don't want to touch him at all in rookie drafts. But any team that needs a slot wide receiver, you know, if the Lions didn't resign Danny Amendola and if he went to the Lions, I would love him there. I think he's going to fit almost every team in the league except for Vikings and the Browns because I don't think they're going to play a lot of 11 personnel. We have a comment here from James Jefferson to the Saints. Yeah, that's another really good one, too. That sounds like a fantastic landing spot. And certainly the Saints or Eagles, it seems like every wide receiver, that kind of seems like the dream landing spot just because they're completely depleted. Greg Ward was their premier wide receiver last year. So anybody that lands in the Eagles, their stock is going to rise instantly. So Eagles, Saints, I think they're both fantastic landing spots, not just for Justin Jefferson, but a lot of the wide receivers that we're going to talk about. Now, Dan, let's transition over to you. You have a wide receiver that you want to bring up. And I know that you guys were going back and forth in our chat earlier today of who was the better prospect. Yes. See, I think Mitch is on the right area of when a top receiver should go in that 109 range. I just think he has the receiver wrong. Um, LaVisca, Chanel Jr., 6'2", 220. 
this dude is a football player, man. He can move. All right. When Mel Kuyper, hey, real, really quick, he actually weighed in at two twenty seven, a little shorter than six two, but he is a tank, even more compact and a lot more weight than actually was anticipated. But go ahead. When Mel Kuyper calls you a Swiss Army knife who plays wide receiver like a running back, that's a pretty good compliment there. He's very versatile. He can play inside or out, which I think right there elevates his stock. Uh, more than Jefferson there, having that versatility in your offense. 86 catches, 1,011 yards, 11 touchdowns, five scores in his junior season. Yes, 2018 wasn't as productive. There were some injury issues. There were some quarterback issues. But he still put on enough game film and flashed enough where this guy's explosive. And I think when we're looking at rookie draft, super flex, fantasy football, what are we looking for? Are we looking for just a guy that is a safe pick or are you looking for a guy with the potential to break out and be something more where, you know, we're looking for those Alvin Kamara's, those, you know, pick some guys that just kind of burst out on the scene and could win you a league. I, I think he has that sleeper potential. He does need to develop. All right. As a route runner that, but I think that will come with reps. So I think the concerns with him are things that are going to be okay with reps and, and, you know, proper conditioning, getting ready for the NFL. But I just, I love his talent. So for me, I'm Chanel all the way. So we're looking at DLF mock ADP, and this is Superflex, of course. Chenault is currently going 201. And of course, things are going to change with the hype and especially these measurements that we've already seen. So if you do a mock draft or a startup starting today, I'm sure things are going to shift around a little bit because that's how quickly the dynasty community changes their mind. We're a very fickle group. But you look at the ADP, Chenault's going 201. Jefferson's actually dropping down to 204. And again, a lot could change. But Mitch, I think you're taking uh, Jefferson here at 109. Might be a little bit of a reach, but you're saying you would definitely take him ahead of Chanel, despite these measurements that people are just going ooh and ah over. I would. I think Chanel is the better talent, without a doubt. I don't think there's a hesitation there. My issue with Chanel is... He had turf toe in 2018. He tore his left labrum in 2018. He had an upper core injury in 2019. And if he was playing in the NFL, because they don't do it in college, but in the NFL, he would have had an injury designation every single game this year. And when I'm going through my lineups each week, and I almost always play wide receivers against the position. So I'll go and look who the cornerback they're facing. I'll see how good that team did against wide receivers. And if I keep seeing the same wide receiver pop up with an injury de designation, I'm not going to want to play him over someone else that has an easier defense to go up against. So my biggest issue with Chenault is I just don't know if I could trust him week to week. And if I'm going to be spending, you know, a first round or a high second round pick on him, I want someone who I'm going to be able to have a little bit more faith in my lineup each week. Or if I'm going to really go for a home run, I'd probably pick a running back at that point instead. Good points, Mitch. But on the flip side, do you take Jefferson at 109 to 204, that range we're talking about, to have like the next Alan Hearns? Or do you roll the dice on Chanel and maybe get, you know, something more that could be explosive and can be a star in the NFL? When looking at potential, what's that? I was just going to say, it'll be more like Keenan Allen, Tyler Boyd type of. Slot work there. I appreciate those comps, but but they're for Chanel, not for Jefferson. Oh, my bad, my bad. Yeah. I thought that was Zeke Elliott. Someone had a good point on Twitter about like Zeke Elliott and Chanel. They, yeah. <laughs> they look it's, really it's close. Body type, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. Like 
like Dan said, it's basically, or maybe Mitch, you said it, it's basically a running back playing wide receiver with his build and his physique. His highlight film is very impressive. And I think what'll be interesting, you know, we look at the combine, what are his measures going to be? You know, he runs a real fast 40 and a good shuttle. That, that's going to help his case. And then when we get to the NFL draft, what kind of wide receiver run are we going to see? You know, that that will impact a lot how high these go and it will impact where we probably take them in the draft. Looking at teams that need wide receiver, you know, here's just some predictions. I think it would be a reach for the Jets. They need a wide receiver, but at number 11, I think they have to go O-line. They have to protect their franchise quarterback. I could see the Raiders getting C.D. Lamb, which is not news at 12. Colts, Judy at 13. If you want to flip them, flip them. You know, there's some premier guys. The highest I see Chenault going is 15 to Denver, repeating the Colorado luck where they took Lindsey and then maybe they have a good relationship up there in Colorado in his home state. I could see that. But if it's too early based on the scouts' talent, and, and also to that Denver point, picture Sutton, Fant, and Chenault. Or if you know our listeners are saying, hey, we like what Mitch is saying here with Jefferson, maybe Jefferson's the guy that, that goes early and that, that offense with Drew Locke really starts to build. Um, but probable landing spots are Philadelphia 21, the Bills 22. They're, they're prime real estate spots for either receiver. You look at the metrics and the measurables, both guys, they check the boxes. You look at their market share targets, their catch percentage, breakout age, the college dominator. They check the boxes. And we talk about minimum thresholds all the time. And well, if your breakout age was this, you have less of a chance to be a, an NFL producer. Both check those boxes, like I said. If I just have one more checked box that you're talking about, JB, I mentioned to you guys, I got a good contact out there in Colorado and he says he's a real high character kid. Um, I think he lost his dad at a young age. So we'll strike some hard chords here. His goal was to play NFL football for his dad. He lost. So I think he's going in motivated too. And hopefully we see that at the combine. Checking these boxes, BMI. It's all over Twitter. Now that is the big topic of discussion here, especially for wide receivers and running backs. But it seems like both check that box. They meet the minimum threshold that people are looking at. That 40 time for Jefferson, though, I'm going to bring it up one last time. That is going to be huge. And that's going to be one of the big things that I'm keeping an eye on. It looks like a lot of people, they have him projected as a first or second round draft grade. I'd be very surprised if he falls in his in his 40 time based on what you're projecting that he's going to land that first round draft capital. And not to say that second round draft capital is a death sentence because by no means it is, but you know, it's definitely something we want to keep our eye on with this plethora of wide receiving talent coming out this year. Anything else on Jefferson, Chanel, before we move on? I'm ready to compare him to these other receivers you're about to bring up. You guys are deep diving on me here. We have two more receivers, but before that, I'm going to throw a running back in here. And I don't really have a take on this guy. I'm not really feeling strongly for or against him, but I wanted to bring up because he seems to be somewhat polarizing and that's Cam Akers. And I have the Florida state hat here. I am not a Florida state fan. I have actually had this hat for, I can't tell you how many years I like the color. So I bought it. And here we are in 2020 talking about Florida state running back Cam Akers coming out. So I threw the hat on. Mitch, do you like how JB just like hedged all his bets on there. He's like, I got this guy. I, I'm not sure I like him, but I'm going to talk him up a lot, but I'm not going to really put my stamp on him. We're going to see he... what happens after the combine. Then maybe I will, but maybe not. Depends on the landing spot. Draft I'll, equity. I'll formulate a take as I'm going through it. I'll let you guys know. I'm but... wearing a USC hat, but I'm not a USC fan. Okay. Sorry. So again, we look at all these measurables and metrics, college dominator, his age, he doesn't turn 21 until June. So still on the younger side, looks like second or third round draft capital for running backs. That's perfectly fine. We don't need him to be in the first round, his pros, his size, power, contact balance. That's what people are all about. Cons 
pass protection, but people are going to argue with on that because these NFL teams and the coaches, they're going to be catering to these players and fitting to their strengths. At least they should be. So if a player is not great in pass protection, peel them out, let them catch the ball. But that's something that he really didn't do in college. Only two and a half targets per game throughout his career, throughout the 36 games, 7% target market share. We want to see a little bit higher number. And when we had Ray on the show a few weeks ago, he made a great point. You have these players. Yes, they can catch the ball, but do they really excel in that area? Because those are the guys that we should be targeting. And that's where a guy like Edward Solaire pops in. But Cam Akers, there are question marks there. A comp that I've seen that I really, really like, Mark Ingram. And we all know that I love Mark Ingram. Powerful guys. It can be used in the passing game, but he doesn't exactly excel in that area. He's coming in right around that running back five range, it looks like, in terms of the NFL draft. That's where people have him projected. And he's currently going 110 in rookie mock drafts according to DLF. And again, that's super flex. So guys, one, any concern with whether it's the 40 time, you know, it looks like he's projected right around a four five, but some people have said it could be even lower. If he drops in that fourth round, there is a growing concern. But if he falls in the second or third round, like I said, that's perfectly fine. That's right in the wheelhouse for successful running backs. One ten in rookie drafts. Are you guys comfortable taking him there? I'm not. And for some of the reasons you said, I'm not, I'm not concerned about his 40 time. Uh, I got to watch some of his you know, highlight film and I love watching the kid run. I think everybody does. That's why he's very attractive at this point, but you lost me at pass pro. You, I think in your notes, JB, you mentioned some fumble concerns. You just talked about minimal targets. I mean, if I'm an NFL team and, you know, at this point, you know, I mentioned I watch highlights, they're breaking down individual games. And if they don't see him pass blocking, it's going to be very hard for him to get on that field. And then he's not catching either. So that's two things we got to work on. And then if he has trouble holding the ball too, in the NFL, that's not going to fly. So I like his running talent. He seems, you know, he's a stocky kid. Mark Ingram's a very good comparison, but he is, he's far away from being a Mark Ingram in my eyes. Someone that you brought up earlier, John, was how does he compare to David Montgomery? Because there's so many broken tackles. I mean, if you look on Akers, he breaks five tackles a game, seven tackles, 11 tackles a game. Akers breaks all those tackles, and then Montgomery did the same thing. And Montgomery had very little passing game production when he was in college as well. So I actually think it's a really good comparison, but I think Akers is going to be a little bit more athletic. So he's going to pop a little bit more in people's models. My biggest worry with him is he didn't have a good offensive line for the last three years, as we all know. How many bad runs would he have just because he didn't really know what was going to happen in front of him. So he was trying to make stuff happen a lot, trying to beat guys individually. And I worry they got a whole bunch of bad habits by doing that. Something I don't know for sure. We won't know until he's in the NFL, but I think it's something to definitely worry about if a running back trying to make space every single play. Is he going to try to do that in the NFL as well? Or is he going to be able to hit the hole and just take it from there? So you're saying as opposed to maybe just getting two or three yards because of what he was trying to do, he may have lost yards. And, you know, while the offensive line was bad, and a lot of people make that excuse for him. It's kind of like what we see with Jalen Rager, right? Yeah. Well, his production, his counting stats, they were down in 2019, but that's because of the passing game and the quarterback situation and the way the team operated. But it's very similar with Cam Akers, and you see that excuse made for him a lot. What would he do with a good offensive line? Hopefully we have the opportunity to find out here. And I think his, his 40 time is probably going to be critical for him because if his 40 time is a little bit lower and – you know, I'm not as concerned about this for running backs, but what's going to stand out for him? 
Because how many good running backs have we seen throughout the year that they look like good runners and they just never materialize in the NFL? It's because all these concerns we have, that's going to make it harder for him to get on the field. So hopefully he runs a good 40, maybe shows his hands off a little bit better at the combine. You know, certain offenses don't utilize him as much. Hopefully these are things he's working on. All right, so I don't think either of you actually answered my question, but that's fine. You ignore me all the time. Where are you willing to take him in a super flex rookie draft? He's still in the first round for me. He's below Zach Moss, but he's in the first round. I think I have him at 111 right now. Okay, so when we compare him to wide receivers, you would take him after Justin Jefferson as well? Yes. I like him in the second round. I think there's too many sure things, guys with really high upside. Uh, If I'm taking Akers, I'm a little nervous. He's not going to see the field all year and maybe for a couple of years. So I want to take less risk on him in mid, late second round. Just because he's a running back. You want to roll the dice on running back. So I I could see taking him, but there's too many talented guys first. Yeah, it always seems like running backs, they definitely rise up the draft board simply because they land in a good situation. And we talked about David Montgomery. Yeah, so Cam Akers, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens throughout the week. The 40 time, we want to see it. And that is going to impact at least a little bit his draft grade in the NFL. So it's looking right now that people have him projected as a third round draft pick here in the NFL draft. Again, if that happens to slip to the fourth round, he is going to slip down my draft board and rookie drafts, and he might actually be in a void, but it's going to be a very interesting week. A lot of hype one way or the other. If people don't like Cam Akers and he slips in one of these events, they're going to be, they're going to be going nuts out there. So let's keep our eyes open for that. Two more wide receivers here, guys. Mitch, over to you. You have a guy here. A lot of people didn't know about him until the senior bowl, probably. Yeah, before I even mentioned his name. So this is why he's going to be the Twitter darling, right? And he kind of has been so far. He already is. Yeah, he's six foot four, 223 pounds, had an 82% college dominator rating and an 81st percentile breakout age. You hear that, you're like, why isn't he the wide receiver one? Why don't we know more about him? But I mean, it's Julio Jones size, but it's Antonio Gandy Golden out of Liberty. And it's actually really hard to find game tape on him because they just didn't play anybody. And you can find game tape to where he played Syracuse, BYU, Virginia, but they didn't play anybody good. So when I go and I look these small school guys, I want to see who they did, how they did against really good defenses. But he didn't play any good defenses was the problem. But I think it's someone that everybody's going to fall in love with if he runs a good 40. If he runs in the four fours, everyone's going to go bonkers over it. If he runs in the four fives, kind of like Kenny Galladay did, he has better college stats than what Kenny Galladay had. But the one problem is when you watch him. So the senior bowl, everyone really liked him. But if you watch, they actually have film on YouTube of where you can watch every single one of his one-on-one snaps. And what you'll see is if anybody got their arms on him, he couldn't do anything. He can't get off press coverage. But if he got a free release, he schooled everybody. He schooled any person he went against. And when you start watching him against Syracuse and even a little bit against BYU, he's really good if he could just run. But the second he tries to use any sort of cutting ability, it looks like he's running through mud. You would like to comp him to DK Metcalf. I was just going to say that when you said that. But the three cone might be the same, but the 40 time isn't going to be even close. It seems like the expectations right there around four, five. Exactly. And I think that's going to be his issue is it's he's just not going to be fast enough. And you're going to hope that he's a Kenny Galladay when more than likely he's just going to be another fifth round draft pick that never pans out. And this is another one too. We're talking about 
draft capital. It looks like he's projected in the late third round by a lot of people. We don't want to see him slip to that fourth round because history tells us that's not a good sign. Dan, do you have any thoughts here on Antonio Gandy Golden? I'd be interested in knowing more of his backstory, Mitch. I mean, you got me looking at Antonio Gandy Golden's highlights a little sooner than I thought I would be. And, you know, at first I was curious, he, he lives in Georgia. How did a Georgia prospect at land at Liberty in Virginia? Um, you know, what was he a late bloomer? You know, I'm really curious of, you know, where he came from. He's probably a raw prospect. You know, you're identifying some trouble getting off jam. So he's probably still developing. That would definitely be a problem in the NFL. But he does have a burst, like a burst after the catch. Like you see that little bit of explosion there. Both of the guys you, you picked tonight, Mitch Jefferson and Gandy, when I looked at their highlight film, they've got that second gear after the catch. You know, they both caught some nice jump balls. Um, again, separation is a little bit of a concern for me, especially for Gandy Golden versus, you know, the University of Maine, Old Dominion, the Sisters of the Poor. Uh, you know, how is that going to translate to the NFL? So I think there's a, there's talent here, but he's probably raw. And, and how long is it going to take for an NFL team to develop that? So for, for me, he'd probably be a late third, fourth rounder. Obviously, we'll see where he lands in, in the draft. That will affect things. But he, he's a late sleeper at the best right now. Currently going at 304, according to DLF Superflex Mock ADP. Mitch, he's your guy. Are you comfortable taking him at 304? He's not my guy. I just want to bring him up because Twitter's going to. Oh, so up. he's just a guy. Yeah, so he's wait, just you, you a get guy. on me. He's hedging like bring- you now. You you get on me for bringing up Cam Akers, but no, then you're going to do the same exact thing five minutes later. We're allowed to bring up players that we might not like, but that everyone's going to hear about. And so that was my take on him. Listeners, is, do you hear these guys hedging their bets? I hope they're. I hope everybody's noting, not, noting this. How about this for not a hedge? Probably just don't want to draft him unless it's a fourth round draft pick. Three oh four, you're not willing to take him then? No, because I think there's still better players. So you gave, you gave our listeners who have fourth round picks like me because I traded my first, second, and third somebody to pick. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. That it's helps. But if he does show off this week, good luck getting him in the fourth round. Exactly. Because, That's again, the we, thing. We know how quickly people react. Yeah. And so really quick before we jump on the next guy, now that you brought that up, if you're going to do startup drafts and if you could do them with rookies included, doing them right now is such a great time because people see that dynasty hype and everybody gets overdrafted. Every single player jumps up 10 spots higher than they should. Let's just say Gandy Golden runs a four, four, five. He's going to end up going in the sixth round in startups. People are just going to jump him up that high. And as long as you don't buy the rookie fever, just get veterans this early in the draft and don't even worry about rookies. There's tremendous value right now in startups. And if you look at the DLF ADP, I think Robert Woods is coming in right around 32, which is absurd with what we just saw him do this season. I'm not saying he should be a first round startup draft pick, which Mitch, you and I actually, we did see that last off season in one league, but to look at a wide receiver because he's what, 27 years old. And we're obviously seeing it with Keenan Allen. We're seeing it with Kenny Galladay. These players that are high end assets are getting discounted simply because of their age. So you can certainly take advantage of that in startups right now. And hell, the rookies don't even have to be included. We're seeing it with rookie draft picks. We got Allen Robinson in one draft that we were co-owning after the 204. If you're in an existing league, good luck getting Allen Robinson for the 204 straight up because it's not going to happen. So definitely take advantage if you're taking part in startups. There's going to be tremendous value slipping down the draft boards from these veterans because it is rookie hype season. The combine, it's pretty much the official start of the next year it's the first big event we have the combine free agency kicks in 
NFL draft. So the hype is building and it really is a good time to take advantage of those values that are all over the map. One last guy I want to bring up, and it actually it's great timing because we just found out today that Tyler Johnson is not going to be taking part in the on-field events here at the Combine. And there's a few things here. One, he didn't take part, what was it, the Shrine game? Because yeah, he, out of that. he wanted to preserve his, himself for the Combine. Well, now he's backing out of the on-field events. And Mitch, I told you I had a little anecdote here, and I had a comparison to my personal life. So when I had my learner's permit, you know, before my driver's license, I pushed off getting my license as long as I could. And I said, oh, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. So the day before my permit expired, I went to take my driver's test. Guess what? This is a true story. I hit a curb in the parking lot. He said, pull into the spot. You failed. That is what we're seeing with Tyler Johnson. He's the equivalent to me having my driver's permit so many years ago. He's going to keep pushing it off. And he's a senior. We already see all the numbers and all the metrics and the information we have on these wide receivers that don't come out early. And it seems like that's a big red flag these days. If you don't come out early, if you don't come out as a junior, the probability that you're a hit in the NFL, it seems to be decreasing. And he has, he already has a third round draft grade. Again, if he doesn't take part in these combine events, which he's not, and he slips into the fourth round, I don't want anything to do with him. So he's currently going 208 in super flex mocks. What are your guys' overall thoughts? You know, he does have the good breakout age of 19. That's 90th percentile, 98th percentile in terms of college dominator rating, solid ta target market share. He turns 22 in August, you know, so that's still not a concern. But he's not taking part in these events, something that we want to see. And this is where all the hype builds. So what are your thoughts? 208 right now. I have to assume that he's going to be dropping here just because he's not taking part this week. You raised some good and some concerning points on him. For me, you know, his 4.6 is 40 is okay. Him not wanting to test out is concerning. You know, why will you not show us what you have there? You know, he has back-to-back 1,000-yard -back seasons and double-digit scores, which is nice. I watched his film, John. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing some body catches. He just looked like another receiver to me. I mean, yeah, he put up some stats. He's okay, but nothing there excited me about the NFL. So for me, I, I take him at the end of the fourth round, and we'll see what his uh, pro day looks like there when he's at his home, home turf. We'll see how much work he put in and if it paid off. Well, a lot of the issues that people have with him, it's his speed and athleticism, and that's what he's knocked for. So you're now masking that for a little bit longer. I, I don't know if I can say that I'm surprised. Again, he's putting off his driver's test. Hopefully he doesn't hit a curb. <laughs> Dan brought up a great point there. So we're going back. We're watching these game tapes, all that we could see on YouTube and everything. You know, there's specific tapes that just show the plays that he ran, what he did well in. And yeah, the, the highlight reels, and that's what a lot of people look at. But yeah, if, but if you're it's highlight, not even the reel. highlight reel, like you keep watch the ones where it's every single one of his snaps as well. But like Dan brought up, when you watch him, he doesn't pop. He doesn't pop at all. He gets a lot of catches. You watch all these other college prospects. You're like, you can start to buy into them. You're like, wow, they might be the best, you know, wide receiver in their conference. But you look at Tyler Johnson and you're like, I guess I should like him because he has a really good dominator rating. He's going to pop on a lot of people's models. 98th percentile, like I said, for college dominator rating, 90th percentile for breakout age. 36% target market share. This is what people are going to look at. Like I said, because of certain people's models, he really is going to rise in value from that regard. But then you have the film guys. I, you know, I don't know. This is where us and our listeners will prosper. 
because it's where the film doesn't lie and you've got to use common sense. We've had some really good episodes about analytics and how to use them and not to use them. You know, so our listeners, if you want to go back and listen to some good content about that, you can. Uh, but with him, you know, as Mitch says, he doesn't pop out. And it's not even the we didn't even get to the game film. I'm just looking at his highlight reel. If your highlight reel doesn't pop off, yep. you're in big trouble because I didn't even get to your actual game film yet. John, I'm, I'm going to take film over analytics in this one. Yeah, right. and I don't know about you guys, but I don't trust pro day times at all when it comes to because there's certain schools that are known that guys just run faster there especially in the pac 12 we hear about a lot oregon guys always run faster their pro days washington they always run faster and i don't know a lot about minnesota but the same case could be there it just might be a little bit more of a trackier field than what they have in indian so it'll prove them by a few tenths of a second so guys anything else here again a, a lot of things are going to happen this week from dynasty value implications, whether or not it really should impact as much, that's another story. I think we're really going to read into these things a little bit too much. And yes, they're going to play a role and they're going to impact the actual NFL draft capital. And when you start to pair things like the 40 time, then the breakout age, college dominator, and the NFL draft capital, you start to get more of a complete picture. And that's when we can really have a solid take on these players. But when you look at these one-off things, the bench press, the 40, the vertical, the three cone, hell, you look at strictly the three cone, DK Metcalf, he shouldn't have even been drafted last year, which everybody knows. But then you look at him in the gym with his shirt off, well, he should have been the first overall pick. So it's just funny how we pick and choose what we want to look at. But that's the NFL combine in a nutshell. I think, you know, we talk dynasty theory, rebranding our new name here. You know, part of dynasty football is you're your own general manager. You're managing your team. You know, you're evaluating talent and you're, you're maintaining it from year to year. All this information that's coming out now, if you have rankings, you know, these are just all little pieces of it. You know, what are those measurables in the combine? What are the coaches saying? Find some reliable sources on Twitter, you know, the Matt Waldmans, the Mel Kuypers, whoever it is you like, and, and let that guide your drafting moving forward. Dan, you're right. You are your own GM. That's a great point. What I was going to mention is earlier on Twitter, I kind of put out a post about this, but I think it's true. Go through the teams in your dynasty leagues and run a quick mock draft. Don't look at the ones on Twitter that are running mock drafts because they're not based off team needs. Go through your individual dynasty leagues and try to figure out who people are going to draft. And I bet you there's going to be a lot more running backs that go in the first than what anybody's telling you otherwise, because... Once you do a startup draft, you'll start to realize after you get past about running back 15, that's about where Carrion Johnson is and Devin Singletary. Once you get past those guys, you don't trust anybody after that. But just go through your leagues and figure it out. I bet you you'll find three quarterbacks like we brought up, probably three wide receivers and six running backs. Great point. Great points. And you mentioned Devin Singletary. Mitch, he ran a four, six something at the combine last year. You know, and they Debo didn't trust him for half the year. Debo Samuel had a great senior week, but so did Penny Hart. Where's Penny Hart these days? You right. know? So you got to really add all that into your equations. And that is a good point. I like that going through the teams in your league, looking at their needs, even though, you know, that's another conversation for another day. We know in startups, you draft for value and in rookie drafts, I think there's kind of more of a balance, but people, they still tend to want to fill those needs so a lot of people, they do draft based on need in rookie drafts. So knowing your league mates, if you know that there's people that really want to contend, those running backs probably are going to get pushed up. And we talked about it for how long now? These second round picks and rookie drafts, they're going to be tremendous value, especially when looking at these wide receivers. So 
Hopefully we provided some good insight. We discussed several players across all the positions, not tight end. Maybe we'll hit on that next week a little bit, but talked about some wide receivers, Joe Burrow and Tua. What are the Bengals going to do versus what they should do? And then Cam Akers, my lukewarm take of, well, I'll ride the fence a little bit longer. So the people, the folks here that sat through this episode and watched us live, thank you so much. And guys, we made it through the first show. You know, and it wasn't, it was tolerable, I'd say. You know, not too bad. But thank you, everybody, for listening to Dynasty Theory. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Dynasty Theory FF and check out our Facebook page, Dynasty Theory Fantasy Football Show. We are also now doing the live stream, as you guys know, on YouTube. Find our channel, Dynasty Theory. Have a great night.